1960s, around then, a theater, theater director named Keith Johnstone uh, says to his actors, today we are working with no script. He says, today we're going to improvise dialogue. We're just going to make up conversations. So they get to it, two actors on stage, they find their way to an interesting topic. They make insightful points. There's some witty banter, some clever turns of phrase, but the dialogue feels flat. Something is missing. The next day, same exercise, same result. Something is flat, something is missing. They try again the next day, same result. And then Keith Johnstone gets an idea. He says to his actors, we need to raise the stakes. Something needs to be on the line. So he says, try to get the upper hand in the conversation. Behave like you deserve a bit more respect or even you already have a bit more respect. You deserve a bit more deference. Don't be over the top about it like many amateur actors. Just act like you have slightly more status than the other person. Or he says, acts like you have slightly less status than the other person. So the actors give it a go and suddenly the scenes feel alive. They feel totally realistic. Every pause could be interpreted as a power play or as a sign of meekness. Every gesture might be a way to take up space or, or to show deference. So the sad truth is that when Keith Johnstone had his actors embody the dynamics of status hierarchies, their scenes feel realistic. Feels like real human interaction. So let's give Keith the benefit of the doubt and say that that was true for him and his social circle. So within the hobnobbing theater scene of 1960s Britain, uh, let's just assume that status infused everything. But is that true elsewhere? Is it, is it true here? I will argue that the status gains exist even in a democratic community, even in a community that covenants the, to meet as equals. And one of the reasons I think that status gains are here is that status gains are baked into our DNA. When we stand with an upright posture, taking up space in the room, we feel better. Biological studies have been done. Um, when we win a game, often our arms just go up in the air, yes. Uh, when we lose, maybe we slump into the corner. Uh, actually, is that true for people? When you win a card game, are you like this? You are, you are, no. Or. Yeah, or maybe you just say good game, good game, which to me sounds like an overture for equal status, so it's still a status game. Or do you say, I got lucky, uh, offering yourself up as low status. We have a choice about how we react, but some reactions feel primal. So when I used to play bocce ball with a friend, after I made the winning shot, I would race around the yard, hands in the air, like I just just won the, the World Cup with a winning goal. So we pretended that the stakes were so high because we both knew that the stakes were not high at all. Uh, it was just fun to pretend that they were. Feels like a primal celebration. 
But with another friend, I would never do that. With another friend, uh, his ego is too invested in the game. Uh, so if I won, I would simply say, let's play again. So there's something primal in that as well. When animals play, the bigger animal will let the smaller animal win sometimes. Otherwise, the smaller animal won't play. So these status games are baked into our DNA. When you get your back up, uh, when someone is disrespectful to you, it's baked in. So how many species get their back up? Dogs? Cats? Moose? I read on Wikipedia, moose get their back up. Uh, some snakes. Uh, um, so I only recently found out what hackles are. Uh, hackles are the hairs on the back of the neck that stand up when an animal is afraid or wants to show dominance. So if you get your back up sometimes, that is okay, it is baked in. Um, as I said earlier, we just got a puppy, it's been two weeks. When he wants to play with another dog, he gets low, a sign of submission, head right near the ground. It says, I'm safe to play with. It's just instinct, he just knows to do it. Um, we also have cats, and you might wonder how cats show submission. They don't. <laughs> So, so it's baked in. A lot is baked in. Sometimes, yeah, so some status behaviors are baked in. Sometimes we have a choice, and sometimes there are cultural expectations. Yeah, so in some households, the loudest voice gets to take up space. The most talkative person. Maybe in middle school, it's the mean girls who decide who gets excluded that day. Whether we live in a patriarchy or a matriarchy or a democratic republic or a mix, culture carries expectations about who defers to who. Maybe you were trained to play low status. So don't, don't disagree with anyone. Do what the other person wants to do. Express your idea in a way that makes them think it was their idea. Maybe you were trained to play high status. You wear a power tie or you put on makeup. So what is it like to put on makeup and get treated better? I imagine that there's a real sadness that it works uh, and that it takes time that could be better spent doing other things. Uh, but perhaps it feels fabulous and liberating to put yourself out there. Um, maybe you just like wearing makeup. Playing high status can feel intoxicating. Um, I imagine a couple who refers to each other using terms of royalty, like my queen, my queen. <laughs> or everyone feeling like a king of their own castle. Why was the book Fifty Shades of Grey so popular? Why can status games be experienced as sexy? Dominance and submission, why should they be sexy in cultural terms or evolutionary terms? I'm going to pivot to a different question and share some of my own personal history related to status games. So as a kid, I was pretty quiet. Not many of the kids in my neighborhood shared my love for logic puzzles. Uh, so it never even crossed my mind to tell people about my interests. When I got a job busting tables at a buffet restaurant, I would work an eight hour shift in the slop and not say a word to anyone. 
And then after a few months, the waitress said, he talks now. Yeah. So it took that long for me to naturally open up and take up space. At the age of 19, I found out that alcohol could help me to open up and take up space. Not good. Um, at a campus pub, uh, I, want, I go up to someone a year ahead of me in physics who I recognize. I say, hey, I recognize you from physics. Tomorrow I will be sober. I will roll, walk right by you with my head down, but tonight I am saying hello. And then the next day I see them, put my head down, <laughs> walk right by. Uh, and eventually we become friends and we laugh about that. Um, the first time I auditioned for a play, I walk into the room like this. I sit down, look at the floor. The director comes over, hands me a cast list. One of the characters is a shy, awkward physics student. <laughs> so, so I got the part. Okay. Um, I eventually realized that if there was one person in the room trying to dominate, I would make myself small and silent. Uh, and even in a supportive community, it would take months for me to trust that I could take up space. A big leap in my life was when I discovered a type of dance called contact improv. Um, if you search for contact improv online, there are some good videos. It's a partner dance and nobody is leading. Um, anyone partners with anyone regardless of gender, size difference. It often starts with making contact hand-to-hand. -hand. So if these are two different people, just making contact, you know, a little bit of pressure, you roll with it, and soon you're rolling and you're back-to-back. You're -back. The, the point of contact rolls until you're back-to-back. -back. Someone might say my partner leans down, and since I'm leaning on them, I end up on their shoulder. Um, my partner then rolls to the ground in an Aikido roll, so I roll too. So it can be quite acrobatic, but there's completely beginner levels as well. And the main point is that there's just a point of contact, and in an improvised way, you, you roll with the point of contact. Nobody's leading. It is a democratic, equity-minded form of dance. In a given moment, someone might be leading. Uh, it's not like a Ouija board where movement happens of its own accord, um, although it can feel like that when you're in the flow. Um, and there's an exercise that we would do to practice varying uh, who was leading and following. So at the start of the exercise, I'm doing all of the work. If we are hand to hand, I am pushing or pulling or dropping, and you do nothing and simply let me uh, lead. And the stakes trust, and we do a lot of talk about trust and boundaries uh, in our events. And then instead of me doing 100% of the work, I do 90% of the work, and you do 10%. So maybe you slightly help the movement I'm doing, or maybe you slightly resist. And then gradually, you do more of the work and I do less until we're 50-50, both equally leading and following. The exercise continues until you are doing 90% of the work and I'm doing 10%, finishing with you completely leading and me completely being moved. So with that shared experience, our dance has become more interesting. So sometimes we both want to be leading 70% and it starts to feel like wrestling. Sometimes we both want to be following and the dance turns into like a spacious meditation. 
Each of us plays with the dial of how assertive we are, and we enjoy the various combinations. Conversation can be the same way. We are talking as equals with the conversation naturally flowing. Then you realize you want to make a point and you do most of the talking for a while. Maybe I ask the occasional question encouraging you to take the lead. But then I want to make a counterpoint and our conversation turns into a fencing duel, both of us playing high status. The energy builds and builds, but eventually it settles. Both of us now in a reflective mood and enjoying just being together. What do our UU principles say about all this? We value democracy, equity, interdependence, everyone's inherent worth. Does that mean conversations always need to be 50-50? I hope not, because that would be boring. So I enjoy when you fill the room with your voice sometimes. You do the sermon, you take a turn on the board, you tell your covenant group that you need extra attention this time. You just spread your wings and let us see you shine, and that's fabulous. So some days you'll be at 90%, some days it will be you, some days it will be you. Uh, we can all take turns taking the lead in the conversation or the congregation. And also, what about our church covenant, which we spoke earlier? We speak respectfully and we listen respectfully. Does it always have to be 50-50? I don't think so. Let's mix it up. Let's have some ups and downs. Um, Conflict can happen if one person's 50% is another person's 30%. So I think we're having a balanced conversation. You think I'm dominating. What if I love when we're both at 70% and it feels like wrestling, uh, but you shrink away from that and I don't notice. So I talk more to try and encourage you to talk more. Um, so perhaps if I'm at 70% and you're at 30%, it's not that I want to dominate, I just want to wrestle. And there's not one right way. I've been part of a con congregation that met in a university lecture hall and attracted people who liked verbal jousting. I've been part of a congregation that liked standing in a circle as equals. And some congregations like both. Within this church, you might find that each, con each covenant group offers a different flavor of connection. Per perhaps the book group has a different feel from month to month, depending on the book being discussed. Some open up conversations, some open up opinions, I don't know. So it's not just how much of the talking you do, it's not just how loud you are. Keith Johnstone's work in improv theater shows that every gesture, every moment, is laden with status, whether it's equal status, dominant, submissive. That actually, when I think about that, that feels really icky. <laughs> like, can we not all just be together in a simple way? Can we look past the body language, look past our cultural upbringings, and just let the spirit in me welcome the spirit in you? We can try, and that's worth doing, but if something doesn't feel right in a relationship, it's helpful to notice what status games are at play, whether or not they are intentional. I'm gonna close by saying you cannot win a status game. You can't win. 
because co the competition only gets worse at the top. You can't win a status game because the ultimate prize in life where everyone is where everyone thrives, where there is a life full of human connection. But status games can be fun, so let's dance. <laughs>